Hey, guys. Fletcher Reed, desperate to find a way out of his complicated situation, bends down low to where his son Max is, and he says, you see, Max, sometimes grown-ups need to lie. Max, no one can survive in the adult world if they have to stick to the truth. I have to lie. Everybody lies. And if you're a Jim Carrey fan, you may recognize that from his late 90s film, Liar, Liar, a film uh, that raises uh, some serious questions about who we are as human beings and what a few of our primary problems are. And indeed, Hollywood has plenty to say. Uh, just listen to the titles of some of these that I found. Liar, Liar, which I watched this week. True Lies, Pretty Little Liars, Big Fat Liar, Bigger Fatter Liar, and of course, A Few Good Men, with Jack Nicholson's famous line, You Can't Handle the Truth. Well, today, with absolutely no regard for the story, the context in which Jack delivers that line, I am here to say we can handle the truth. We are, in fact, called to truthfulness. So today, after a, a break in the gospel, uh, to hear about the gospel in uh, John chapter 3, today we're back to the Ten Commandments, number 9. My sermon text for today will be Deuteronomy 5, verse 20. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And just like with each commandment, Previously, we've seen the prohibitive restriction, the don't do, and the affirmative exhortation, the do. Don't do that. Do this instead. Today will be no different, for within each command to refrain exists the command to do. Don't treat your neighbor that way. Treat him this way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us today through your word. We say with David that all your words are true. Help us, God, to bend our stiff will to your ways. For we know that without your quickening power, the power of the Holy Spirit, we are without help. So help us to be truthful, to be honorable and worthy of trust. Help us to speak the truth. For like Spurgeon said, Lord, we believe it, that hard words, if they be true, are better than soft words if they be false. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So about a month ago, I was chatting with a friend of mine who is not a Christian, and I mentioned to this person that I was preaching at my church, and I, I wanted to use the, the, this opportunity to invite them to visit and to hear me. You know, if they maybe thought that that would be an interesting thing to do. And my friend seemed into the idea. So I explained further that our church was going through the Ten Commandments and that I would be speaking about the Ninth. Thou shalt not lie. And I said, it's tough stuff because basically everybody is a liar. And my friend responded by laughing and saying, that's so funny. Everybody is a liar. How are you going to get around that? I'm going to tell you all to stop lying, I replied. And it was a funny moment, but it underscores the discomfort of this particular commandment. 
because it serves to magnify that putrid open wound that all can see. Some things like hatred or lust or theft, many of these can exist as secret sins, little precious pet sins. You can be a raging kleptomaniac and none of your friends will be the wiser. But it's widely known if telling a lie makes one a liar, everybody is in fact a liar. For we've all found ourselves and others caught up in deceit, half-truths, misdirection, everybody. Almost everybody. We can read in 2 Samuel, David prays, and it's a beautiful prayer that he prays in chapter 7. And he prays and he praises God and he says, You are God and your words are true. And we can read the prophet Isaiah prophesying, speaking the very word of the Lord. He says, The God of truth. And then David, praying in the Psalms, saying, Your faithfulness, O God, is to the clouds. That is his honesty, his dependability, his truth. It reaches the heights. His truthfulness is eternal and without limit. God is such a person, writes J.I. Packer, truth is his nature, and he has not got it in him to be anything else. Numbers 23.19 tells us that God is not a man that he should lie. And Paul told Titus that God never lies. And that is why, says Packer, his words are true and cannot be other than true. They are, and I like this, the index of reality. They show us things as things really are. And so if you want to understand this world and your place in it, then hear God. Everybody else is lying to you. God's commands are true. His glorious pr promises to us are true. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we heard uh, just now in the gospel reading that the way to know the truth is to abide in the words of Christ's teaching. In John 8, Jesus is teaching that he is the Son of God, that his Father is God, that he himself is God. So then we believe those things, and then we will know the truth. And we are promised that the truth shall set us free. God is true, and he wants truthfulness to be a mark of his people. Hence the command, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Well, if bear false witness sounds awfully judicial, it's because it is. Taken most literally, we are commanded to tell the truth when called upon as a witness. So don't use your words to condemn people of crimes they have not committed. And as humans, we see the enormous value of this command. In fact, breaking this command is against the law. It's called perjury, lying under oath. But the width and breadth of the command's principle goes much further. We're not just in a court of law, but in every pedestrian, domestic, and professional conversation, we are to maintain truthfulness. We are not allowed to lie to each other. Outright poker-faced lies are the obvious topic here. Saying one thing when you know the opposite is true. 
lying to save face or to save our pride, or lying to harm others and cut them down. But we skirt the truth, I believe, in some a few other perhaps more sophisticated ways. Ways like white lies, half-truths, dodging questions, passive aggressiveness, slander, sarcasm, to name a few. But I want to break those down just a little bit. White lies, those lies we tell because it doesn't matter, and we don't want to cause conflict or hurt someone's feelings. But when the truth comes out, those once spared feelings will not likely be very thankful. Half-truths are half-lies, so they are lies. That one's easy. Dodging questions. I understand that sometimes a question is a none-of-your-business type of question, and you're not required to spill certain details to just anybody who asks of you, things like where to hide, where you hide your spare key. But I know you're able to rightly judge the circumstance in which you are asked a question. And by and large, people who speak the truth have little to hide and therefore few reasons to dodge the questions that are asked of them. Passive aggression. The solution, I think, to passive aggressive tendencies is to simply say what you mean. Ask the question you need to ask. Say what you need to say. Don't play dishonest little mind games with those around you. Be neither passive nor aggressive, but speak the truth in love. And slander. Our psalm had a lot to say about slander today. And it is absolutely wrong to intentionally speak very ill of somebody in a way that is not truthful and to spread lies about them. But perhaps for most of us, our slander exists in the form of unconfirmed gossip about another person. And when you whisper speculations about how others are living their lives or what they may or may not have said, you do run a huge risk of lying about them. You may not mean to do it, but the lie will exist just the same. Sarcasm. This one is a little precious to me. Sarcasm can be funny. So if your sarcastic comments are harmless or perhaps self-depreciating and hilarious at your own expense, then I'm not overly concerned. I, I prefer to let it slide. But if the sarcasm is used to cut another person down, this is wrong. Not only have we spoken an untruth, but you've done it to do violence with your words to the image of God. And I cannot neglect to mention how we live now and have lived for quite some time in an age of total relativism. That is, a truth or the truth has become your truth, which may not be the same as my truth. It is not slander for me to say that Oprah is really bad about this. But in this present situation, we find that not, that not only have people begun to believe their own little personal truths, but we spout them off constantly as though they were meaningful. But the idea of personal truth is wobbly ground indeed. And one basic problem is that it assumes that a natural tendency toward honesty exists within us. 
But even my unbelieving friend in that conversation a month ago, readily and without reservation, admits that everybody is a liar. We lie about our age. We lie about the color of our hair, our weight, our education, our gender, our accomplishments, our own sinfulness. Some of these lies we are aware of, and some, maybe we are not. And so it becomes that as often as we lie to others, we also lie to ourselves. And some of the lies that we tell ourselves have tragic and heartbreaking consequences. Some of these effects are obvious to the people around you, and some of the effects not so much, but we lie to ourselves in several ways. Here's one. If we say we have no sin, we are liars, and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1. It is very slippery to sin and then to convince yourself that you did not actually sin. You will run the momentous risk of becoming hardened to that sin. Packer writes, We are familiar, perhaps, with the thought that our bodies are like machines. They just need the right routine of food and rest and exercise if they are to run efficiently. What we are perhaps slower to grasp is that God wishes us to think of our souls in this way. As rational persons, we are made to bear God's moral image. That is, our souls were made to run on the practice of worship, law-keeping truthfulness and honesty, discipline, self-control, and service to God and those around us. If we abandon these practices, Packer says, not only do we incur guilt before God, we also progressively destroy our own souls. Conscience atrophies. The sense of shame dries up. One's capacity for truthfulness for loyalty, honesty, is eaten away. One not only becomes miserable, one is steadily being dehumanized. And this is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 1, when he speaks very frankly about those people who traded the truth of God for a lie. For to do so is utterly self-brutalizing. And there's one more negative example that I want to pull right from our gospel reading in John Jesus is speaking with a number of argumentative unbelieving Jews about who he is namely that he came from God his father and when they refuse to believe these words his words he points out to them who their father is and in John 8 he says why do you not understand what I say it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. He does not stand in the truth. He is a liar and the father of lies. And the devil is real. His tricks are always based on lies. His trick is a constant barrage of that old garden question. Did God really say? It's constant. Did God really say not to eat the fruit of this tree? Did God really say that you are his workmanship and that you were created in his image? Did God really say that his promise is for you and for your children? 
Did God really say to cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you? He doesn't care about you, or at least he wouldn't if he were real, the devil says. Don't believe the lies. Instead, as God's words are truth, the antidote is to hide that word in our hearts. And this is simply reading and remembering Scripture. God's God's words are the index of reality, and they locate us in the truth. That is, they alone can make perfect sense of who we are, where we are, and what we need. And then, with the truth and promises of God secure in your heart, the Spirit will bring those words to mind whenever you need to hear them. As his words are truth, they are also life. People are in a constant search for life through personal coaches or positive thinking, diet, exercise, work, our kids. Many of these things can be helpful or worthy of our time, some not at all, but life comes from the life giver himself only and do not settle for less. So we are not to lie. We have seen that the biblical solution is to speak the truth in season and out. But how practically can we do the most to uphold this command? Well, firstly, if you're called to give an account for your own actions or words, make that account honest. A lie may save face for a time, but a lie discovered will do more damage than the simple truth. And don't let your own sense of pride or embarrassment hinder you. Speak honestly about yourself and speak honestly to yourself. If you're speaking of another person, let the instruction of James be your guide. For James says that the tongue is small, but has the power to set a forest ablaze. And in the dry Okanagan, we understand that analogy very well. So don't be a careless match in the month of August. Be careful what you say, and be careful to say good things about those around you. Build one another up. James says to be peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of good fruits, impartial and sincere. So say good things and mean the things that you say. Thomas Watson said, As it is a sin against this commandment to raise a false report of another, so it is to receive a false report before you have examined it. He that raises a slander carries the devil in his tongue, and he that receives it carries the devil in his ear. So be charitable with others. Speak kindly and speak honestly. Also, As a general rule, rule, promote truth. Fact check yourself. Don't spout speculative numbers and figures and details about things or people you're unsure of. And don't confuse your opinion about something with the facts of something. Liking something doesn't make it true any more than disliking something makes it untrue. Ultimately, the problem is that lies we tell and lies we hear bring into our lives confusion. And God is not a God of confusion but of peace. Well, with that last part, uh, promote truth, confuse your opinion about facts. If this were a TED Talk on honesty in a dishonest world, I, I, I could end there. 
Fact check yourself. You can do it. Be honest. Easy peasy. But the reality is that we're more helpless than helpful as human beings, especially in this area. Even the most seasoned of Christians can find themselves saying things that are untrue or doubting the truthfulness of God's word to them. And the unbeliever has an earful of something else entirely. If you are confused about your place in God's kingdom, read the Bible, pray to the Lord, talk to Pastor John. If you don't know what the kingdom of God is or how to belong, and if you long to be surrounded by truth and life, read the Bible, pray to God, talk to Pastor John, and be honest. One last uh, quote I'd like to close with from Martin Luther on a sermon that he gave on the Ninth Commandment. Thus we have now the sum and general understanding of this commandment, to wit, that no one do any injury with the tongue to his neighbor, whether friend or foe, nor speak evil of him, no matter whether it be true or false. But that everyone employ his tongue and make it serve for the best of everyone else, to cover up his neighbor's sins and infirmities, to excuse them, palliate, and garnish them with his own reputation. The chief reason for this should be the one which Christ alleges in the gospel, in which he comprehends all commandments respecting our neighbor. Whatsoever ye desire that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.